Welcome back to What the Tech, sponsored by ProServe IT. In our cybersecurity series, we are dedicated to empowering organizations with the knowledge and tools to navigate the complex landscape of digital security. In today's episode, we delve into the revolutionary concept of the zero trust model. Today's organizations need a new security model that more effectively adapts to the complexity of the modern environment. Zero trust is the answer. With the zero trust model, every activity is treated as a potential threat until proven otherwise. Microsoft has developed a world-class cybersecurity model based on this principle, challenging traditional security paradigms. Throughout this episode, you will learn about effective methods to proactively detect and prevent malicious activities, ensuring your digital assets remain secure. Discover how to align your zero trust investments with your business needs, elevating your organization's overall security posture. Let's get started. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the second cybersecurity course for the Post of IP Academy. My name is George Abusamda. I'll be your instructor today. I'm a principal consultant and security practice lead here at PostServe IT. In today's class, we're going to be talking about Microsoft's Zero Trust model. Now, delivering security that is effective and simple is not an easy feat. There are a lot of things to think about, from getting buy-in from upper management, to finding credible and experienced resources, to managing the security elements within your environment. What I plan on getting out of today's session is to help everyone understand how to modernize your security thought process and implement solutions in place to help reduce the risk in your environment with Microsoft's Zero Trust model. As for the agenda today, first I'll explain what does zero trust mean? We always hear the word zero trust these days, but what is zero trust really? Then we'll talk about why zero trust why it's important for your organization. We'll then talk about the three principles of zero trust and how it can apply to the various elements within your organization. Then I'll walk you through the zero trust architecture to help you understand how it all works together. I'll then explain how to achieve zero trust across your environment with the zero trust maturity model as a guideline, allowing certain web categories, for example, news, search engine sites, or other categories that can lead to productivity loss, sets that are associated with liabilities possibly, or high bandwidth. And you might want to allow or deny access to. In addition to that, you can also apply controls over services like Windows updates. Now, some of you may already know and have gone through the pain already. If you want to allow certain IP ranges or host names for specific services, those IP ranges and host names may change with time, and manual intervention is required to update those IPs on your firewalls. In this case, we can use the Windows Update tag, for example, so you don't have to continuously update your firewalls manually when IP ranges or addresses change with time. On top of that, Azure Firewall Intrusion and Detection and Prevention Systems and Threat Intelligence detects and protects communication that passes through the firewall. You can also protect your public IPs against distributed denial of service attacks using Azure DDoS Standard Service. Last but not least, data. So with Zero Trust, protections are designed to follow your data wherever it resides, whether it's your in, in your infrastructure or in the services that you manage. Protections can continue as data flows and as people work together with sensitive information. Information can be protected from intentional or unintentional leaks 
by people inside of your organization to people who should not have access. But before you can protect your data, the first step to using zero trust approach is to know your data. With Microsoft Information Protection, or MIP for short, you can run the Content Explorer and look for sensitive information types in Exchange Online, SharePoint Online, and OneDrive. You can even create your own sensitive information patterns or keywords. Now, once you know where your data lies, now you can move on to the data classification portion. Applying the zero trust principle of least privilege, labels and classifiers can be applied to the file content in order to enforce policies to protect your information. That way, only the people and processes who should have access do have access. Now with MIP, you can apply sensitivity labels to add visual markings, such as headers, footers, and watermarks. You can also apply file level encryption and reduce sharing rights to limit access to the right people. You can either have the user apply the label themselves or automatically based on the content. So if it detects financial information within a document, you can have it automatically apply a financial label, encrypt it, and they'll only allow the financial team access to these documents. Another component that can support MIP is data loss prevention policies that can be used to block sensitive information from being shared in Word, Excel, emails, Teams, so on and so forth. From here, you can then take action using the zero trust principles of least privilege and assume breach to lock down access to data with sensitive or confidential information. Now let's switch over to the demo portion. Now, depending on how much time we have, we'll try to get through all the demo components. I'm gonna start off with identity. So here we have a demo tenant. This is the Azure AD portal, and we're logged in using an admin account. This is a global admin. Now, within this global admin account, I'm gonna just show you quickly on the single sign-on capabilities. So I've recently integrated Salesforce with this tenant, just a demo Salesforce application, integrated it, provided access to specific users within my environment, so whoever's part of the sales and marketing group, as well as myself, and I've configured single sign-on within Salesforce, within Azure AD. So if somebody wants to sign into Salesforce, they don't necessarily require separate credentials within Salesforce. Everything is governed under my Azure AD environment. All I need is my Azure AD credentials, my work credentials that I sign into on a regular basis. Now, the reason why you want to apply single sign-on to these third-party apps is to be able to apply conditional access policies against them. So if I wanna create a new policy, for example, apply a specific user, let's just say all users in this case, applying it to Salesforce, I can then select conditions on who is allowed to sign into Salesforce and what conditions they should meet in order to sign into Salesforce. So natively out of the application itself, you won't be able to do this, but now that it's integrated with single sign-on in Azure AD, I'm able to apply my controls against that Salesforce application. For example, I can limit what location we're allowed to sign in from. We're only allowed to sign in from trusted locations. Otherwise, you're not allowed to sign into this application. And that trusted location may be your office only. So somebody within your data center or specific IPs or specific countries or regions. 
You can even filter by user risk level and sign-in risk level based on the sign-in activity and the user activity of the user. If somebody is signing in through a malicious IP, that might generate a medium risk for the user, and you might not want to allow them access to this application unless their risk level is cleared. And then eventually, you can either grant or block access, depending on what you want your policy to include. So I might want to grant access, but require MFA if they need to sign into Salesforce. So with that said, once Salesforce has been integrated, you assign the user, it's going to come under your My Apps section. So these are the applications that have been applied on the administrator account. So it's just like any other regular user, people that want to use maybe a third-party application like Box, they just want to check their calendar, they want to go into their email, their SharePoint, Word, so on and so forth. You can see Salesforce is an application here as well. So just by clicking on Salesforce, it's going to redirect me to Salesforce. Now, you can see here I can log in with Azure SSO. All I have to do is just click on that button, and it's going to redirect me to my Salesforce page. There it is. It just loaded. And you can see here under my profile, this is the mod administrator. So now if I close this and open Salesforce again, it's already authenticated. Now it's just going to redirect me to my Salesforce application. So if I'd applied that conditional access policy and said enable MFA and somebody is signing in to, to Salesforce using Azure AD, it's going to prompt them for MFA and they're going to have to sign in using MFA to access Salesforce. This can also apply to your on-premise apps. So if you have an on-premises application, you would have to configure an app proxy and through that, you can then configure single sign-on with Azure AD and integrate it with your conditional access policies as well. Now, in order to achieve zero trust with your identity, it's also recommended to go passwordless because passwords, regardless of how long they are, how complex they are, if you fall for a phishing attack, the password is just provided to the hacker. You're just giving them your long password, your super complex password, your whatever password that you've, yeah, you've generated, you're just pretty much handing it to them on a silver platter. So what we can do in this case is we can enable different forms of passwordless authentication. Now, one of which I want to show you here is just using the Microsoft Authenticator application. So I've configured the Microsoft Authenticator application for passwordless sign-on using just this one demo user called Alex Wilbur. And I've also configured for number matching. So rather than just clicking approve and deny, you also can type in the number on your device. So that way, you know, if you're away from your laptop or your computer and you're signing in, you have to actually see the numbers on your screen to sign in. Because oftentimes what happens is people are just sitting at dinner, they're outside the house, they get an MFA prompt, and they just approve it on the spot without thinking that my credentials are compromised. They just think it's one of their applications requesting MFA. So that pretty much causes MFA fatigue, where it just allows people to click approve without thinking of whether they initiated that sign-in activity or not. So number matching allows us to type in the number on your device based on what's on your screen in front of you. You can also see the application being used. So if I'm signing into the Azure portal, I'm signing into Exchange Online, 
it's going to pop up and show you what application you're signing into, as well as your geographic location. So a map view to see where you're signing in from. So let's demo this real quick. So over here, I'm just going to click on the admin account. You can see it's going to request for me a password because I've not set up a passwordless authentication for the admin account, but I have for Alex Wilbur. So if I try to sign in using Alex Wilbur, and click next, you're going to see here that I'm not using a password. It's just providing me with that number. I can still use my password. So if I click use password instead, I can still sign in using my password. But just to reduce the risk and make sure that this is a properly authenticated page and not a phishing page, why not use the passwordless method. So now the number 41 has been generated. I'm not sure if you guys are going to be able to see my phone, but as I open up my phone, I'm going to, you're going to see a login page. Hopefully you guys can see that. And then I just have to type in the number 41. It shows me here. The app is the Azure portal location, Ontario, Canada. The user is Alex W. And then I'm putting, yes, this is me. After typing in 41, biometrics kick in, it scans my face. And I think it's just because I clicked back and then forward, it needs to verify it once more. And now we have access through Alex Wilbur's account. So this is passwordless authentication using your cloud based applications. So let's move on to devices. Now with Endpoint Manager, again, this is where Microsoft Intern can come into play and manage your Endpoint Manager devices, your laptops, your computers, your mobile devices. It allows us to create compliance policies. So what policies should my device adhere to in order to access my environment? Let me just create a policy in this case just to quickly see what they look like. So let's just say for an iOS device, compliance settings, do you want to allow geo-broken devices or block them from being accessed in your environment? Do you want to allow a specific risk level or threat level? Is there a specific minimum operating system? So maybe you don't want to allow iOS version 12 to access your environment. Anything above 12, you're allowed to. So you have to have an updated operating system. You can even deploy Defender for Endpoints, which is the EDR solution on your mobile device. And should you have, what kind of score should you have in order to access the environment to be compliant? As well as other system security. So I need ensure that there's a password to unlock the mobile device so that there's always a password in case it gets stolen. I want to block simple passwords like 1111 or 1234. Those should not be allowed. The maximum password, or sorry, minimum password length should be, let's just say six. The type, do you want it to be alphanumeric or just numbers? So on and so forth. Password expiry, how many minutes of inactivity until the screen locks? Maximum minutes before the screen lock, after screen lock, before password is required, immediately. So you can create these policies and then push them onto the device, onto your iOS devices. And if any of these policies do not adhere to what you have set, then the device is not going to be able to access your tenant. And that is done through 
going back to conditional access policies. <clears throat> so create a policy, apply it to all users, all cloud apps, grant access, but require the device to be marked as compliant. So if your device is compliant, great. You're allowed to access the environment. If your device is not compliant with the policies that we've set, at least from an iOS perspective, you can create another one for Android, another one for Windows, and eventually say, I want to block access if you're not compliant. Now, moving over to apps, we have Defender. Sorry to apps. interrupt you here. I have a quick question yeah. about that. Sure. In your opinion, or whichever would be the best practice, would you recommend making a compliance policy and then blocking access until the device is like compliant or push a configuration policy to force the device to follow a set of configurations, assuming it's a corporate device or somebody has given consent for having their personal device configured or managed? Great question. So again, it depends if it's a corporate issue device or a personal device. For personal devices, you might want to make sure that you don't want to push anything on the device because sometimes from a personal perspective, they don't want corporate policies on their personal device, but you can just put a compliance policy that they'd have to meet in order to access your environment. From a corporate perspective, I would push those settings through the configuration profile to en enforce the settings that I want users to have. And if for whatever reason, they're able to change those settings or modify them, or maybe an iOS update, OS update have changed those settings, it'll, those devices will not be compliant anymore. You can apply a grace period, just depending on how lenient you want. Maybe say, allow them for three days to fix their policy before being able to access the tenant. Otherwise, you can apply it immediately. As soon as their device becomes non-compliant, they don't access the tenant. Thank you, George. Great. Oh, great question. All right, so from a cloud app security or defender for cloud apps, it used to be called cloud app security in the past. I'm just going to open up a different portal here, just because in the demo tenant, we don't have as much information as we would have liked on this browser here. It opens up quickly as it opens up. So within Defender for Cloud Apps, what we can do is we can integrate these third-party applications, or let's just say even out of your firewalls in the office. We can forward event logs from your firewall, your syslogs from your firewall into Defender for Cloud Apps. And eventually, based on the applications being accessed in, the, in, in your environment, we can monitor the types of applications, how much traffic is being generated to those applications, and whether they're risky or not. So just from a dashboard perspective, or let me just go to Discovered Apps here. So discovered apps. If you've integrated your firewalls to send logs to Defender for Cloud Apps, you're going to discover the cloud apps showing up in here. So somebody using Netflix, somebody using Google Drive, Box, SharePoint, OneDrive, the whole nine yards, they're going to pop up on this list as well as their risk score. So risk score of 10 means they're not risky. The lower the number, the more risky the application is. If you're using Defender for Endpoint as the endpoint detection response solution on your device, you can also send the traffic information, what applications you're using, directly 
without coming out of your firewall. So your laptop or your machine could be anywhere accessing any SaaS application, and then they would pop up in this list as well. So Microsoft has a, about 31,000 and 31,000 plus applications within their, their catalog. Each one has a risk score based on certain criteria. So if I want to take a look at applications that have a lower risk score, not operating properly, but let me just take you to the cloud app catalog and filter this by zero to two. We can determine why this application is risky. So if I just want to take, for example, Accelerate. It can tell you where the headquarters is, the data center, the domain, the security. So it's based on four different types of criteria, general, security, compliance, and legal. And whether it meets your legal requirements, maybe your organization has to be GDPR compliant. So this application is not for you. Take a look at the security information. This application does not support MFA. It does not audit trail data, admin audit trail data, but it does audit the user trail data. And then you can make an informed decision whether this application should be allowed or not in your environment. And just by a click of a button, you can block this application from being used if they're using Defender for endpoints. So if somebody's trying to access this website, it's going to be blocked on your workstation. And if you're coming out of your firewall in your office, you can generate a block script, and then you'll just run that script on your firewall to block these applications from being used. And then obviously it tells you alerts. Once you've integrated your first party applications and maybe Salesforce and other third party applications, you can monitor in the activity log what people are doing. They're uploading, they're downloading, they're whatever they're doing inside their environment, and everything is going to be logged, and eventually you're going to be alerted by malicious activities happening. Suspicious admin activities, login from risky IP address, mass download by a user, so on and so forth. Again, just for the sake of time, I'm going quite quickly here. Now, yes, from a data, just fairly quickly from a data perspective, content explorer. You want to figure out where your data lie, where your sensitive information lie. Let's just say I want to look for credit card numbers. In this case, maybe exchange. And within Exchange, there's 12 credit card numbers between these different users, these five, six users. I can click on Adele, for example, and I can see there's a credit card number attached to this email. And these were the emails. This is the content, just pretty much testing. Hi, George, this is the list of credit card numbers. So we're able to identify where the sensitive information lives so that we can apply. Remember, you have to know where your data is prior to be able to protecting it. And let's just say you know where your data is and you don't want to allow sensitive information to be sent. Let's just say via email. I'm just going to create a new email to myself. And then I'm going to attach So I have a sample data file here just to show you what it looks like. It contains credit card numbers, birth date, social insurance number, numbers, expiry dates, so on and so forth. And as you can see here, I got a policy tip. Your email message conflicts with the policies organization in your organization. So I'm not authorized to receive this information because it's external and it's sensitive. So if I want to send this email out, I'm going to say it's going to get send blocked. 
So I'm blocking sensitive information from being sent. And this also works on Teams. So if I'm sending this file on Teams, SharePoint, OneDrive, Exchange, um, I can apply some sort of governance controls to ensure that my data is protected. At the end of the day, the Zero Trust model is a framework that can guide organizations to be more secure. And each organization can go at its own pace based on their resources, their budgets, so on and so forth. Thank you for joining. That concludes our deep dive into the Zero Trust model in this episode of What the Tech, sponsored by ProServe IT. We hope you found valuable insights and practical guidance on how to implement this cutting-edge security approach. In our next episode, Ransomware as a Service, How to Protect Your Organization, we will tackle the pressing issue of ransomware and equip you with the strategies to safeguard your organizations against this growing threat. Join us in our upcoming episode as we explore the world of ransomware as a service and learn how to fortify your organization's defenses. Thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to having you with us next time on What the Tech.